I think generally Adam and I are very undeserving people. We have that Jewish <laughs> anxiety. Anything yeah. good coming our way, it's always like, all right, we'll take it. <laughs> yeah, we don't deserve the audio to even be working right now. It probably doesn't in our based on our history. <laughs> uh, joining us today is uh, Mr. Andrew McLuhan. He's the grandson of the great Marshall McLuhan, the coiner of the term "the media is the message." The medium. The medium. The medium is the, is the message. All right. <laughs> Mistakes are also a message. <laughs> As much as you can handle. Um, write. Use a pen and a pencil. Write a note to yourself. Write a letter to your grandmother. She would love to hear from you. Well, hello, and welcome to part two of our condo about mediums versus messages, form versus content, good versus evil, chocolate versus vanilla. Uh, maybe not all of that, um, but we're talking with Andrew McLuhan, who carries the intellectual torch of the late great philosopher Marshall McLuhan as the, the head of the McLuhan Institute. Uh, thanks for coming back, and we're going to jump right in where we left off in media res. Yeah, so that's that's the, the basic... There's a big difference in approach. Media literacy tends to be about uh, content. So it's understanding um, who is speaking, what their motivation might be, what the persuasion, what they're trying to, you know, make you do or understand. Um, and this is very important uh, for us to know in a time where People are working very hard uh, with propaganda, be it marketing, advertising, or political, um, to persuade you um, to think certain things or act certain ways or buy or not buy um, a bill of goods, be them ideological or, or physical. Very important things. However, this is against uh, or in contrast to media ecology, um, which is a term my, my dad and or granddad or somebody else, depending on who you ask, came up with in the 60s. The idea there is to focus less on the content and more on the environment uh, and these environmental effects of technologies with an eye toward um, you know, as Marshall said in Understanding Media, we can think things out before we put them out. Uh, the best way to solve the pollution problem is to not pollute in the first place. Mm. Yeah. So media literacy doesn't address these questions at all. Um, they, I think they're two valuable approaches um, that need to work together and they currently don't. And the interesting thing is um, a lot of people I speak to in media literacy um, are, are certain that they're doing McLuhan work and they're not. Um, they are doing important work and I'll never, I'll never talk down 
um, because as, as I said, I think they're, they're things which go hand in hand. Um, but uh, again, the content is that juicy piece of meat and it's important to know that there's a burglar there handing you a juicy piece of meat and why they might be doing it. But it's more important to understand what's happening while you're busy talking about that. As, as one of those points of intersection, I often find myself thinking about deep fakes and our new technological ability. It, it both is about uh, sort of confusing people or, tr or tricking them about what the message is, but at the same time, it is a new technology. Um, there was a great uh, kind of report about how Adobe was working on this, you know, this technology so that you could you could input about 20 minutes of somebody talking. And then after that, you could just really type out whatever you want and it would come out in their voice and that kind of thing. And the people who created it were saying, oh, this is great. We'll use this for movies and that sort of thing. It'll be fine. And some reporters saying, you're not worried about this going in a kind of dangerous direction where we can't separate, you know, the truth from what somebody's actually saying from this random thing we recorded. And um, so I guess all that to say, you know, we find ourselves in this category of uh, what some sociologists had called make connaissance, like a misunderstanding. And basically just when you think you understand what the message is, but you actually don't like the better to know nothing than to, uh, than to know something that just ain't, ain't so. Um, and, and, you know, if there are scholars of Lacan and Borgia that really <laughs> want to come, come at us, it's uh, zallpodcast.gmail.com. But, um, but just as a basic, as this basic intersection of, of technology, but also content, are, are there, do you think of kind of the, the, the most pressing ways of confronting that literacy or the kinds of things that can be done in terms of that pollution both of the form and of the absolutely fake messages that might be produced by it. It's difficult. Um, it is one of the very pressing issues of our time. Um, how do you know what's true? How do you know what to trust when uh, we're so easily deceived, you know, uh, when it's so hard to tell um, you know whether something is is a genuine sound clip or or video clip and 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 what's not you know when computers can make uh art as convincing as if it's human or you know these sorts of things you know i i don't mean to to sound like uh a luddite or you know somebody prefers print just out of principle i mean in in my day-to-day -day work i use both um there you can't beat uh the convenience of a google search um, or being able to search a pdf on the computer for something uh it's it's very handy but when i want to verify something you see a little picture of somebody with a quote over top and you know did einstein say it or did lincoln say it or did somebody make it up or did a computer make it up and does it sound kind of true and maybe it is and maybe it's not in this world i want my work to uh, be trusted you know i want you to know that if you see a quote on the McLuhan institute twitter you know that it, it's from marsha McLuhan. 
So I don't put anything up there that I don't cite the source to that you can't go to a book or an article or an interview and verify if you need to. But I want you to be able to trust that that's what it is. Trust is such an important element of our daily life. Uh, and what we take things for granted because we trust them. And if we didn't, we wouldn't get anywhere. You know, I trust that each step I take is going to be on solid ground. That's a level of trust. Right. You know, if you're wearing VR goggles, for example, uh, you might not be able to trust that. You might walk into a physical wall where you see a hallway. You know, so I think we have to find balance. Uh, and I think it's it's very important to remember that we are humans in bodies that uh, have a physical nature and presence um, and it's important to come back to that people are very disoriented um, sometimes people ask me what they can do about it you know identity crises and anxiety and all the rest of it a lot of it is the product of a racing mind your mind is moving so fast um, because you know technology moves at the speed of light um, you know you you read something on the screen and it's go 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 you read something on a page and it slows you down a little bit. You read something aloud, it slows you down even further. Um, you know, you I can type about 80 words a minute. I can write half that. So um, it's like a, a an engine. You know, if you want to go slower, slip into a slower gear, right? If you want to slow down your racing mind, pick up a physical book. They're everywhere. Uh, they're not hard to find and and read if you need to slow down even more read aloud uh, and it has a therapeutic effect um, it's not it's not a perfect solution it's not an instant solution but I'm willing to bet that if you read a printed and I'm talking about the printed page very different uh, media, very different technologies and effects, reading from the screen and the page. Read a printed book. Uh, it doesn't necessarily matter very much what you read. Uh, but read read a page, a couple pages a day, as much as you can handle. Um, write. Use a pen and a pencil. Write a note to yourself. Write a letter to your grandmother. She would love to hear from you. You know, write to a friend. Get a pen pal. Uh, it's nearly impossible. It blows my mind to think of how in how short a time we've lost the art of correspondence, which was such a vital part um, of society. But sit down and try and write five letters. I mean, try and write one. It's difficult enough. Keeping up a correspondence is a really interesting experiment in your own kind of personal media ecology. If you write me a letter, I'll write you back. How about that? 
<laughs> this is my this is my last follow up, David. I promise I'll shut up after this. But my last thought about this because I, I I write a fair bit, and I I often will tell people that um, maybe it's a little shorthand, but I tell them like I can't really read, and nobody believes me. They think it's a joke, and. So I wonder about, you know, minds continue racing and we're getting trained to process information in shorter and shorter pieces. Um, I started thinking about this even when, you know, Dan Brown books became really famous. And I was like, all the chapters are two pages long, you know, like that's helping. And then, you know, TikToks and Vines and things like that. But if the mind is racing at a particular speed, for me trying to slow it down and saying, okay, now I'll read my head is still doing its own thing now we're just becoming further and further apart and that's what makes it just to now i'm now i'm sort of lost and confused in in both in both directions interesting well i mean um it 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 can be i'm trying to to look for for parallels that might make sense i think when you slam on the brakes you know you might you might create an accident you're trying to avoid sure uh so take it easy you know go go slowly um i like poetry uh writing and reading poetry while i was waiting for you guys i'm reading um t.s Eliot. uh this book uh, uh sorry this poem about um it's shorthand proof rock uh the love song of j alfred proof right Poetry is is great because it's it's rich. It's so dense and rich. It expands. Don't don't try and do too much. You know, if if you have a hard time reading, uh work at it. It's really it's really like anything else. Um it's a muscle that you can build. Um and the best way to do it is not to overextend yourself. You know, you don't want to burn out. Um and get frustrated and say I can't read um it's think of it's training and just remember that our brains are uh, are plastic they reorganize but it doesn't happen instantly you can work at it think about going to the gym 15 five minutes read for five minutes a day for a week then read for 10 minutes a day see notice try and pay attention if it's too much scale back if you think you can handle more, spool up. Fazal, as always, is brought to you by Schmendel's Herring Deodorant. Schmendel's, why smell like a man when you can smell like a fish? I want to get a little specific, um, if you don't mind. And if it's too specific, Andrew, you'll tell me. With the medium as the message as our foundation, can we go, with your permission, through specific forms of media and point out with with the finger identify their message i think that would be an interesting exercise i've 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 read and and kind of um watched and listened to interviews of marshall McLuhan, and he touches upon this from different angles but i never really saw like the systematic almost list of like radio versus tv versus i don't think he reached internet age versus the written word versus the spoken word you know, I think that would be um, really, really helpful. So let's, if you don't mind, and if and if you're not interested in this, I get it's it's a lot of specificity and a lot of you know sleeve rolling that you may have not subscribed to. 
That's but, fine. We can give it a shot. Yeah, we can give it a try. So in, in the, the written word um, clearly has the approval of the McLuhan family. <laughs> um, I think that's according to all opinions. But if you would f- uh, rewind to the 1500s and with the founding of the printing press, at the time that was relatively controversial and seen as a popularizing of messaging. You know, it was pop. It was for the dummies that they couldn't, you know, get their information and understand things on one foot. They had to have it on paper and written down. And, and do you mind analyzing for a few minutes, the differences between the written word versus the spoken word all the way back to the 1500s and, and the advantages and disadvantages. You're an old guy, right? (laughs) Oh, thanks. (laughs) You look good for 500. Yeah. (laughs) That's a big topic. Marshall did write a book called The Gutenberg Galaxy, uh, The Making of Typographic Man, which is largely about the printing press and the change from um, manuscript culture to book culture. Mm-hmm. Um, and there were a lot, of, a lot of effects. So when you think message, think effect. Mm-hmm. The effect of, um, you know, and, and change. You know, the message is change, what something does to you. That's the message. Uh, although it's not quite as poetic as the medium is the message. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, it's five words. The medium is the message uh, that really go a long way. Uh, there's, there's so much to them. But um, the printing press did a lot of things. Uh, for one thing, manuscript culture was um, very slow. It takes a long time to write a book, to reproduce a book by hand. You know, the typewriter versus the hand, the typewriter wins every time. Truman Capote said about Jack Kerouac, that's not writing, that's typing. And it's a bit of a joke, but it's also very true. Um, and the poetry I can write by hand is much different from the poetry I would write on a keyboard. Uh, because the form has affordances uh, and the forms have different qualities Um, and so they tend to turn out something differently in terms of content but also in terms of of effect so uh, all these things have um, ripple effects that kind of snowball um, and they create different societies around them as they go Would you say that the, let's say 500 years, no, 400 years between the uh, first printing presses and the discovery of electricity, um, all of those can be, all that time can be placed in one category as far as the medium is the message? Um, Yeah, they can be loosely placed into kind of ages, for sure. Um, Marshall McLuhan wasn't the only person to do that. You know, we generally place it in terms of oral society, literate society, mechanical, electric, uh, turning into post-literate, and back to a new kind of oral society. Think about it in terms of forms of organization and government as well. In that manuscript culture where one rich person 
it, you know, one person out of thousands is able to afford the book, to afford that knowledge. Um, that leads, you know, to sort of monarchy and top-down kind of dictator-type mm -hmm. things. When the knowledge is spread out a bit more, we get things like the United States uh, and democracy, where, you know, uh, other people have access, other people have opinions, ability to make informed decisions. I know that in the early days of the United States, there was a lot of pamphleteering where basically a lot of garbage ideas and not good knowledge, incorrect knowledge was being spread. Did uh, Marshall McLuhan ever address that time period where it's somehow still within the printing press era before all the uh, electricity was introduced to the story? But did, did, that, did that change in the medium affect the message in his book? Yeah, well, he says in understanding media, literally in his book, that the message is the change in scale or pace or pattern that the new mm -hmm. technology. Mm -hmm. um, as you know, uh, people have had trash to say for, since time immemorial. Uh, you know, you get a hundred people in a bar and there's a lot of crap being thrown around. You give a hundred people a blog, same sort of thing. The difference is the reach, you know. Uh, and that's a major difference, um, but it's it's a change in scale, not necessarily mm -hmm. um, that much of a change, except in scale. And you know, it it's a funny thing that um, you know when when film was new, it was considered a very low form. Mm -hmm. You know, it wasn't really until television came along that film turned into an art form and film was seen as highbrow and then television was a low form, right? And this is, this is how, how it generally goes is the new technology um, tends to take the old technology as its content and be seen as a kind of vulgar degradation of things until mm -hmm. it is then content of another medium at which point it's it's the old stuff is raised to a kind of elevation status um and that has something to do i guess with with nostalgia and, and preferences and that sort of nature but or just relatively to relative to the new form of media the old one even though it sucked then it's better <laughs> right just because it's older uh well yeah, we did have good pamphlets. We could have it. We did. There were some good pamphlets back in the day. They were really, yeah, it was a bad, like there was, you know, like, have you heard about this tea tax? You know, <laughs> Subscribe nice... to my pamphlet. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's, um, Marshall liked to tell this joke, and it's funny, I brought this up in class last night, but uh, this two goats are out behind MGM Studios in Hollywood uh, having their dinner from the trash pile, eating up some old film. Uh, and one one goat says to the other, "What do you got there?" It's like, "Oh, it's uh, gone with the wind." It's like, "Oh, how is it?" It's like, uh, "The book was better." <laughs> <laughs> I think this is still how they process. Yeah, this is still how they go through scripts. I, I actually, I mean, I have been interested about this the entire time we've been talking about this. Where where does uh, humor and joking fit into this, especially now? Uh, we talk about reach, um, the explosion of stand-up, the fact that 
you know, this also is considered a super low form, not to mention just something you had to go to a club to watch. Now uh, it's a new Netflix special every, every 12 hours. Is that a fundamentally new medium? No, not at all. Um, but it is very important. It's important even to media studies. Marshall would have loved uh, Seinfeld and observational comedy because Marshall McLuhan was an observationist. You know, I don't have any concepts, I have percepts. And what is an observational comedian but somebody very concerned with percept? They're always noticing things. They're always trying to notice things. You ever notice how people, whatever, that's mm -hmm. right. Seinfeld's whole thing, right? That's a very important function because, um, you know, Marshall placed a lot of importance on artists. And we can place the comedian in this group of artists because they're people who are always trying to encounter the novel, what's new. They're trying to explore it and feel it and sense it in new and different ways. So they're always sharpening their wits, their perceptive faculties. And because of that, they're the first to notice the changes in society. So they're invaluable for media study because they're ahead of the rest of us. Um, they're trying, they're working very hard to uh, observe and understand and report back the effects of technologies. This episode of The Zal is brought to you by Eugen Bleigen Flygen. Eugen Bleigen Flygen is a new language learning app designed to teach you the latest and greatest and potentially but almost certainly anti-Semitic <laughs> accents. Eugen Bleigen Flygen. I can't, I can't do this, man. But I'll, I'll say one more thing. Um, comedy and humor... Uh, are all are both based on a sense of play as well. Um, and this is important in, in media studies and in, in McLuhan studies in particular, this approach, because um, Marshall considered himself an explorer. Uh, and the, the worst thing you can do as an explorer is take yourself too seriously. Um, experimentation is exploration is a kind of play you know um, as is joking and so you have to keep you have to keep things light and loose if you want to be open to uh, discovery so what 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 then are those discoveries in some way other than and maybe there doesn't need to be anything other than this than, than say, identifying and articulating a particular kind of grievance. But even when we get into territories about, you know, sort of absurd humor and things that aren't fully just pointing at, ah, this is wrong with our political system and this and that and that. Sometimes we go back even to like this simplest kind of joke, a pun where somebody, you know, what's the best time to go to a dentist? 2.30. Oh. What, what, <laughs> horrible, we're all going to, live shorter for having heard that again but, <laughs> but 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 even that you're you, what what are you pointing to other than maybe hey you know phonemes words can mean multiple things you know great but what is what is the message that's contained within that very particular kind of form and way of communicating that's a good question um 
I mean, puns, uh, puns are about ambiguity. Um, they're metaphors. Uh, I mean, all language is a metaphor. A phoneme is a, is a kind of very loose, loose metaphor that we attach a meaning to. But it's how we construct any meaning is through, through metaphorical relation. Um, that's how we understand the world around us. Uh, yeah. And Marsh McLuhan loved puns, and this is why I love James Joyce. Uh, <laughs> because if there was... Uh, James Joyce was pun number one, for sure. He... <laughs> uh, yeah, much to... A lot of people can't take that much punning. Uh, but, but Marshall loved it. Um, the medium is the message is a, is a kind of pun because it, it admits to so much interpretation and is so generative of thought and insight. And that is, is the name of the game is, uh, to be generative. That's why Marshall didn't really care too much for, you know, philosophy and dialectic because it's about arguing and logic um, and that's that's not really very generative and Marshall was trying to discover things um, so he didn't he didn't care to argue points and it's like mm. if you don't like that idea I got others yeah yeah <laughs> right it's sort of inviting exploration instead of leading you towards a particular precisely because you know, the territory is so vast. Why are we getting hung up on this when if this isn't generating anything fruitful, you know, I'm trying to understand things, so let's move on. You know, there's there's lots more to explore and discover. And let's find some places we can do that together rather than uh, butt heads. What would, what, what do you or what might somebody thinking in this perspective just think about emojis? as a new form of communicating? Well, uh, I asked somebody who I noticed using a lot of emojis why they use so many emojis. And he said, because words are hard. Because words are hard. Which I don't, I don't, I don't relate to because words for me are beautiful and easy. Um, but nothing... Emoji are, are a signpost on the road <laughs> beyond post literacy. Mm -hmm. It's on it's on that topic that I kind of recognize a paradox in your grandfather that I see in my own community in in Chabad. That's the Jewish community that I'm within. There are philosophy and and ideology. There was a lot of opposition to um, a lot of new forms of media, specifically television. And in the early days, and even later on, you would see explicit opposition um, from the Rebbe, from the Chabad leader. And that's on the one hand. But then later on, you would find that Chabad as a movement and the Rebbe specifically embraced television specifically um, as a way of conveying messages that he felt was important. Um, so I, I think that he was on board with the medium is the message and, and it doesn't matter what you're watching on TV so long that it's TV, you're going to have that effect. But he also tried to get that very message 
out on the TV. You know, it's this 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 paradox almost where you're saying you need to know about the dangers of this TV. And I'm going to tell you that on the TV, it's, it's the same dynamic as the McLuhan Institute on Twitter, I think. Well, you have to reach people where they are, you know, and uh, I think it would be kind of ridiculous for me to, to write a book. Um, although I'm planning on, I am writing books, <laughs> but as a means, uh, you know, for getting, in touch with people and trying to spread a message, a book is kind of a not a great way to go about it. It takes so long. You know, first I got to write the thing, then I got to find somebody to edit it and publish it, then they got to market it, then I got to get it out into bookstores and hopefully somebody buys it. And three years later, I could have mm -hmm. written a blog post or a tweet, mm -hmm. you know, with better effect. So, <laughs> yeah. Do you think that the only successful appeal on the medium, assuming the medium's pitfalls, is to get off of the medium? It's very difficult to understand a situation you're involved in. Well, Twitter, you know, let's use your example. You, you obviously believe that there is probably more harm than good as a result of this social media platform in general. But nevertheless, you're out there saying, hey, I'm going to open a Twitter account and hopefully affect society with my messaging on Twitter. But if you believe that the medium is the message and that the effect of the medium is bigger than what you're ever, whatever the content is, then you'd be technically adding more harm than good and, and just increasing those pitfalls. You're widening those, those pits. But if the, unless the message is, hey, get off of this medium as much as you can and enjoy the birds chirping and read those books. Does that, does that calculation make any sense to you? It does. It's a dilemma. Definitely. Um, I can't, I can't stick my head in my, in the sand and, and wish the world away. We live in the world we live in. Um, I have to use the tools at my disposal in order to, um, get things done. It is the irony that in order to spread these messages, I need to use these means. Um, and by doing so, I'm de facto um, perpetuating, not even de facto, I am, you know, participating in um, the general uh, good or ill um, to whatever extent you can measure those things. So um, it's difficult. It is, it is a moral dilemma for everybody um, to think about, you know. Yeah, thanks. Wow, that really ends it on a on a light note. But but it is it is important to think about these things. And you know, is the general cocaine user thinking about the cartels? No. Is the general Twitter user thinking about um, you know all the all the other Donald Trump and whatever else? Not generally, uh, but we should. You know, just to end off on something from the Kabbalah, and this is. Uh huh. I don't think they had that medium back <laughs> when they were writing the Kabbalah, man. Just to end up. <laughs> Sorry about that. That's okay. Uh, Kabbalah's really trying to get through to you. <laughs> it's persistent. Persistent. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Very quickly, just to end off with the word from the Kabbalah on that topic, and um, Matasyahu adopted this in the song, is that the, <laughs> nice. from the forest itself comes the handle for the axe. Mm. meaning that the 
the very act, which is chopping down the forest, had to be created by the forest. And this is used as a metaphor all over Hasidic mysticism, but I think it's relevant in this case. Where That's interesting. This, the media is a forest which requires some chopping, but mm-hmm. nevertheless, the only way that chopping could be done is if you gather a piece of the forest itself and get to work. On the other hand, that same forest provides the handle for the shovel that can dig the hole to plant a new tree. Amen. New trees. L'chaim to new trees. L'chaim. L'chaim, l'chaim. Yeah. Hey, it was a pleasure, it was a pleasure speaking with you guys. That's the end of our time with Andrew, but check out the McLuhaninstitute.com. Um, there's an H in there, uh, so check the episode info for uh, links and spellings. And check out any of Marshall McLuhan's work, or at the very least his Wikipedia page. The, the photo is incredible. The phrase, the medium is the message, is from the 1964 book, Understanding Media. Huge thank you to Andrew for his time, um, Stephanie Chow again for music, and Modest Yahoo for doing uh, what he does so well. That's it from us. Catch y'all soon. After speaking to Andrew on Friday, I was asked to deliver the sermon at the Lubavitch of Indiana Synagogue, and I noticed some unmistakable parallels between the arguments of Marshall McLuhan and Jewish theology. Generally speaking, in Judaism, there are two types of commandments coming from God, two types of mitzvot, the category of the understandable, Thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal. Usually they're associated with moral and ethical questions. And the second category are those that we don't understand, known as chukim, which, for example, would be the laws of keeping kosher. There are no moral and ethical reasons to keep kosher. When a non-Jew eats a pig and a Jew eats a chicken, there is no moral discrepancy between them. The only reason why we fulfill that deed is strictly because That's what God wants for a reason that we don't know. Kabbalah, the Kabbalistic teachings, explain that it is incumbent on a Jew to fulfill the mitzvot that we don't understand in the same manner that we fulfill the mitzvot that we do understand, and vice versa. And they explain that in the heart of all things, even when you're fulfilling a deed because you understand it, it makes sense to you not to kill or not to steal, you should still be fulfilling those deeds because God instructed you to. Parenthetically, this gives you the moral anchor to never make exceptions. So long it's out of the realm of human reasoning, there never would be a reason to change it because God always instructed you not to kill and not to steal. But besides for that parenthesis, this instruction from Kabbalah is a recognition, I think, 
of Marshall McLuhan's general statement of the media being the message, meaning so long you're fulfilling God's will and connecting to God thereby, it doesn't matter the extent of your understanding. In T.S. Eliot's metaphor, all that understanding that you've gained is just the dog being distracted by that piece of meat. What really matters is that you're now living a more enlightened and spiritual existence thanks to your newfound connection to the Almighty. Oh, hey. Yeah, mama, 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 yeah, mama, 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 mama,